online just lift your hands where you're at unless you're driving a car don't do that <laughs> but just call on the name of the Lord right now father come as we magnify you as we worship you Lord we call upon your name Lord we pray that you come and inhabit the praises of your people this morning Lord we're thankful for the joy that we have in you we're thankful for the life that we have in you thankful, oh God, for the victory that we have in you. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm thankful that the chains are broken, that the walls are torn down, and that there is freedom in your name this morning. Lord, I believe that your spirit is moving. And Lord, that if our people, if your people will call out your name, humble themselves and seek your face 
and turn from our wicked ways, you will do it again. You will do it again, oh God. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus never fails. <laughs> Can I say that one more time? You might as well get thee behind us, Satan, for you will not prevail. For I believe that Jesus never fails. I believe that Jesus never fails. I believe, I believe, I believe, yeah. I believe that he never fails. failed you, but you've never failed me, Jesus, oh Lord, you've never failed me, I don't want to sound rude this morning, but if you're standing there feeling like Jesus has failed you, you are absolutely in the wrong. God, there's many times that I failed you. And there's many times I felt that you weren't there or answered in the way that you should have answered or spoke the way you should have spoke. But Lord, but the more I'm understanding, the more I read your word and the more I seek your face, the more I understand that it's not about me. The more I understand, Lord, that it's in your timing that you make all things beautiful in your time. It's not in my time frame. So God, I'm sorry for blaming you for all my issues and for all my problems. Forgive me, God. You are faithful. This next song, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through it. We all have different testimonies in our life. Some test I remember when I grew up in inner city Chicago, you know, you'd hear these testimonies of these gangbangers and drug dealers and murderers and then God radically saved their life and that's their testimony. I'm like, well, I've never done drugs. I've never murdered anybody and I've never stolen anything. <laughs> was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I was blessed. But my testimony isn't any different than anybody else's because I'm still a sinner that needs a savior. No matter if I'm white or black or Hispanic, <laughs> we're still sinners that need a savior. I'm thankful for that. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, there was Jesus. 
Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stay and start to fall All those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when my friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I could see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment of where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. For oh, this man who needs amazing kind of grace, forgiveness at a price I could There was Jesus, oh, yeah. in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Oh, every minute, every moment of where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus on the mountain. In the valleys, there was Jesus. In the shadows, in the alleys, there was Jesus.
Come on, somebody praise his name. out this morning.
thankful for you just being here. What a powerful presence. I'm so thankful. Lord, may we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word. And everybody said, amen. Turn to one next to you, give an elbow bump or an air high five. It's great to have everybody here this morning. shall not stand. I command that Queen Vashti be removed from the palace at once. The king has dissolved his marriage to Queen Vashti. Persia is without a queen. Then his majesty will simply have to find a new one. Where then would you have me find a queen? The Lord has heard my prayers and he has answered them. If she captures the king's heart, his eyes will not disagree. You there, by what name are you called? The woman who fears God will be greatly praised. Will you be an obedient queen? That is all I ask. Will you be a faithful husband? Though I have chosen quickly, I am certain I have chosen wisely. Foolish king follows his heart and not his head. When I seize the crown, Persia will again be great. There is a group of people in the kingdom who are disloyal, the Jews. It is the wicked Lord Haman, my queen. He has convinced your husband to destroy all the Jews, including you. This cannot be. Now take me at once to the king. The Jews are my people. If they be found traitors, let me be guilty as well. I've made a terrible mistake. You will simply have to find yourself another queen. My people worship the God of Israel. To your majesty, I owe my liberty. But to my God, I owe my life. These are words of treason straight from the traitor's own lips. I shall see the house of Haman. And shall I have my revenge on those insidious Jews? The army stands behind you, my lord. We strike at midnight. Well, good morning. What a great presence of God in the house this morning. Did anybody else witness that? I was just walking in here, pulled onto the property. Yeah, give God praise this morning. 
And I don't know uh, what all is happening in your life around here, but somebody prayed. I mean, when I pulled in the parking lot, I just felt like a cloud had lifted um, over the place. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm hoping Jesus is coming before we get done. (laughs) I'm packed up, ready to go. Well, glad you're here this morning. Glad the Lord's here. And uh, we're going to interrupt again the series on Ezra, but this time it was by design Um, not by divine interruption, because there's a huge gap between Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7. And uh, if you just read Ezra, you think we just go from 6 to 7. We think that everything is compressed into the time frame that we read, when in reality, some of those, even the Gospels, are, are months between events as you study those. There's about 58 years between the end of Ezra 6 and the start of Ezra 7, 58 years. And I think we need to know that. Now, I'm going to give you some other um, time frames. And don't worry, you don't even have to listen. I'm just going to give that to you. You're not going to be tested. There's no quiz over it. But I don't want you to get lost in that. Um, without, without what happens um, in between Ezra 6 and 7, which is the book of Esther, there would be no Ezra. Ezra doesn't come until chapter 7. And there was a plot in that 58-year segment to destroy the entire people of Israel, a genocide to wipe them out. Had that happened, there would have been no Ezra, there would have been no Nehemiah, there would have been no Malachi, and there would have been no New Testament. That's how serious this moment is. Had the nation of Israel been exterminated, everything would have stopped at the end of Ezra chapter 6. Now Ezra comes to Jerusalem about 20 years after the story of Esther and Mordecai. So you kind of get all of that. There's about 29 years after Ezra 6 before Esther happens and then another 20 years before Ezra shows up in chapter 7. So here's what will help you kind of get your brain around it a little bit. Darius was king when the temple was completed. Xerxes was king at the time of Esther. And and then Xerxes' son, Artaxerxes, is the king when Ezra immigrates back to Judah. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you read, you'll see those names moved around because Xerxes was kind of a name that followed the kings like Pharaoh or like Herod's in the New Testament. But that's kind of the flow of the leadership that happened. So why are we talking about Esther anyway? Because it's the story of the Jews being saved from the Persian Empire genocide at the hands of a wicked, evil Haman. I was in a place once where they read a synopsis of Esther and the story of Haman. And every time we heard Mordecai, they wanted us to cheer. And every time we heard the name Haman, they wanted us to hiss. Because Haman is one of those characters right out of the cartoons. I mean, he is an evil character and a subplot to destroy people. And I don't have time this morning to tell you all the story, all the intricacies of what happens, except for us to understand that without Esther, all of Jewish history is interrupted and the story of redemption stops. And so I want us to understand how God used Esther and what kind of person she was and what kind of person does it take 
for God to interrupt a genocide. Uh, some, I think we had on Facebook, one of the polls was, would you rather be Batman or Spider-Man? Is that what that was? Did I see that up there? And uh, how many of you would rather be Batman? How many would rather be Spider-Man? Yeah, I want to be Superman. I want to fly X-ray vision. Um, how many have ever thought it'd be cool to be a superhero? How many of you are dead and just don't know it? I mean, I want to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Wouldn't you like to do something that was significant? Come on, help me this morning. Worship was great. Preaching is dying. If you don't come along, this, I don't know what just happened. I, w- I would like that my life, life to be significant. I'd like it to matter that I lived. I'd like there to be a story told that something was done in and through my life that made a difference. And Esther is that kind of person. And I want us to discover why. Now, here's what I want you to grab a hold of. There is and will always be spiritual war in the heavenlies over God's plan of redemption. There is, has always been, and will always be spiritual warfare in the heavenlies over God's plan of redemption. God has a plan to have a people that are described as the wife of God, that's Israel, and there's a people called the bride of the lamb, that's the New Testament church that will be united in heaven, and Satan doesn't want to see that happen, and is working overtime all of the time to try to bring that to a stop. If you want to see the devil's most evil work, get involved in leading people to Jesus and see what the devil will do in that process. In fact, I can assure you that as long as you talk about God, faith, religion, and the Bible, you won't run into a lot of demonic opposition. But as soon as you interject the word Jesus, devils will rise up because that's where the power is, that's where our Savior is, that's where the battle is. And so this attack against the Jews isn't really about annihilating the Jews, it was about annihilating a Messiah who had been prophesied who would come and bring redemption to the world. There has always been that kind of battle. Now, Esther isn't the perfectly virtuous woman that she is sometimes depicted to be. I've come away with the story of Esther that she was, you know, she was the golden child. She must have been perfect in every way, a little bit better than Mary Poppins. No flaw, no character problems, and she just arose that God uses perfect people. But the truth is, she's a simple captive of Babylon that responds to God's initiatives and does great things hand in hand with God's provision. So what I want you to understand this morning is in Esther, and we'll see this in a little bit, there is nothing in her that's striving for greatness. In fact, much of what happens to her is circumstantial. And so for you and I, it's not about seeking greatness. It's about letting God use us as he wants to use us in the moment that he finds us and growing in our relationship to him. And one step of obedience will lead to another step of obedience as you're being refined and perfected and equipped to be the person that God wants to use. But it is the hand of God, not the hand of man, that gets the work done. I've watched a commercial a few times that has really gotten my attention. It's Dial Soap. How many of you know what soap is? 
I got about 75%. The rest of you, we have remedial soap sessions right after this service. It's called In Our Hands. And the commercial is um, imagery and music with, um, with words on the screen. And here's what the words say. Strength is in our hands. Courage is in our hands. Love is in our hands. Inspiration is in our hands. Greatness is in our hands. Hope is in our hands. Together, and then it shows two hands, there is nothing they can't do. Dial caring for hands for over 70 years. That is an absolute lie. There is nothing in your hands. And your hands are powerless until you put your hand in the hand of the man. Hello? Put your hand in the hand of the man. That's where the power is. And that's the story. God isn't looking for people who are pursuing greatness. God is looking for people who are available to be used to do his bidding. And I am absolutely convinced that heaven will be filled with stories about people that did great things for the kingdom that most of us knew absolutely nothing about. That we need to be available to him and accessible to him. God does extraordinary things with ordinary people that are available to him. The greatest ability that you can possess in the kingdom of God is availability. So we're going to follow the life for a few moments of Esther. And she starts off as a captive. Esther begins her life as a captive. Esther chapter 2 verse 7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. What do we know about Esther? There is nothing about her that would attract your attention based on her heritage. She was a pretty girl, a very attractive young lady, but she was an orphan and a captive being raised by her uncle. And when you look at the spiritual life of Mordecai, what's he doing in Babylon anyway? What's he doing in the Persian Empire anyway? They had an opportunity to come back to Jerusalem and didn't do that. Why are they there? Well, I don't know why, but when you do the time frame, the reality is when that first group with Zerubbabel came, Mordecai would not have been born yet and his parents chose to stay and whatever reason, and here's what I want you to grab hold of, it isn't our business to look at someone else and ask why they didn't do what we think they ought to have done. God has people placed in places for a purpose. And for whatever reason, Mordecai and Esther are still in the Persian Empire, and that will be the redeeming of the nation. That will be what will save the people of God. She's a captive in Babylon. She's an orphan. Circumstances were forced on her that were not her choosing. She didn't choose what happened. She didn't participate in what happened. It just happened. Life just happens to us sometimes. And if you're going to spend your entire life trying to find a reason behind everything that happens 
they're going to lock you up for therapy because you will fragment your mind. I stubbed my toe last night. What does that mean? It means you weren't paying attention. Put on some shoes. Hello? (laughs) I don't believe, I've said this numerous times, I'm going to emphasize it again this morning, I don't believe that everything has a purpose. I believe in a God who puts a purpose in everything. Those are two different issues entirely. God takes the pieces and elements of our lives and weaves them together. But she wasn't in a position of power. Think about who she was. A captive, an orphan being raised by her uncle. Does God have a plan for her? Yes, but it's not seen here. Think about all the little people around you. Think about the people that come in and out of the church. The people that cross our paths every day. You don't know what God has planned for them. You didn't choose what's happened to you. I didn't choose to be born in Iowa. I didn't choose to be the son of Ivan and Janice Pilcher. I didn't choose to spend my teen years in a broken home. I didn't choose to face a drunken father and remove a knife from his hand threatening to kill my mother. I didn't choose those things. And I wasn't looking for greatness. I was looking to survive. Is anyone hearing me this morning? When you looked around for somebody that God would use in ministry, you wouldn't have stopped at the Pilcher House. In fact, if you were looking for a king of Israel, you wouldn't have looked at a David. Life is just forced on us. Things happen, and we can't choose to make it different. Well, if I had different parents, if I had a different culture, if I lived in a different state, if I had a different socioeconomic uh, uh, foundation, if I had a different spouse, you can do if all of the rest of your life, and it doesn't matter. You're not going to change that. This is your life now. (laughs) Boy, this is so encouraging. I get worn out by people who are wishing they'd had a better opportunity. Think what I could have done if my dad had been a multimillionaire. Think what I could have done if my parents had been in ministry. Think what I could have done if my parents were professionals. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? I'm saying to you, stop it. Stop it. You are what you are. Embrace what you are. Love where you are. Thank God you are where you are. And know that he has a plan for you right where you are. Captive little orphan girl being raised by your uncle. Trust him. He's got a plan for you that nobody else sees. Mordecai wasn't trying to raise a champion. He was raising an orphan. (laughs) Doesn't life sometimes feel that way? I'd like to do something great, but I'm trying to survive what life has dealt to me. Don't blame, don't excuse, don't regret. You're not to blame for your start in life. You are where you are. Embrace it. 
you could be living in California. <laughs> I heard all kinds of commentary that I did not understand. We'll keep moving on. She was a captive. Second, she becomes a wife. Now, this is really an interesting part of the story, and it's where Esther takes a little bit of heat. The Bible says in verse 8, that's, um, where were we, verse 7, and then quickly in verse 8, so it was when the king's command and decree were heard, what happened? Vashti disrespected the king. He deposed her. He's looking for a new queen. So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace. Now, it talks about many women who were gathered, and then Esther was taken. So again, it doesn't appear as though she got in line to be considered as queen. She was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now again, she doesn't have any other options. It's not like she chose it. She didn't go to Mordecai and say, God revealed to me I'm going to be the next queen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. She's just there, and they took her. Again, no cooperation, no participation. Life just happens to her, and she's pulled in where? To the king's harem. Now, what you have to understand is it's not a harem like you would think. These women were all gathered together and given beauty treatments and spa treatments for a year, and then they were called into the king, and they were treated as secondary wives. And I don't have time this morning to talk about the multiplicity of wives. How many married men are glad you only have one? How many wives are thankful you have a half, I mean a one? <laughs> There's all kinds of things fraught with that that are filled with problems. But scripture also gives guidelines for the slave woman that would come into the household and how she's to be treated and provided for. So again, this isn't necessarily an opportunity to be queen. These are women that are repopulating the harem. Could she have cried out perhaps? Could she have refused? I suppose she could have, but she would have been killed for that choice. And maybe that would have been another great story. I refuse to be in the king's harem, and they burned her at the stake. I don't know. I'm just saying to you that sometimes we make choices in the moment that someone else might second guess but sometimes life is just doing what you know to do at the moment. I can't look back at it. I read about someone today that whenever they send an email, they reopen it in the sent folder so they can read it as though they sent it to themselves. Maybe they should do that before they sent, hit send. Looking back, trying to figure out if I had made this choice, if I'd made a different choice, will she doesn't do any of that. I didn't really have a choice, maybe true. I wish I hadn't chosen that. Really doesn't matter. Now it is what it is. Now it's the choice you made or the choice that was made for you. So this isn't. <laughs> Can I just talk to us for a moment? I'm not trying to disparage Esther at all. I want you to see her rise. 
Right now, she's just following the current. She's just going with the stream. And would you say to your daughters, I want you to model your life after the harem girl, Esther. No, we wouldn't. And that's what's important. Because she didn't start with greatness, but she responded Each step that she obeys, God begins to do something new in her. In fact, Rahab the harlot is mentioned in Faith's Hall of Fame, and we want to celebrate her faith. But what's the story of Rahab? It's a woman that God uses in wonderful things. Bathsheba is a phenomenal story after she surrenders and cleans up her life, but before it, it's a checkered one. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You just have to be available. And you may have made some choices that you look back and say, I don't know if I should have made that. I wish maybe I hadn't made that. It doesn't matter. Will you quit regretting what you've decided and own it? And live in it. Again, Esther is not yet who she will become. And you're not limited by less than the best choices. You're only limited by your unavailability to God and your unwillingness to let him shape you. Some of you, and I feel this strongly in my spirit this morning, have a whole host of reasons why you can't be what God wants you to be. Background and choices you've made. And this morning I'm saying to you, I wouldn't hold at this point Esther up as a model of anything. Not to this point, but something begins to happen because she begins to respond to God. And now is when we begin to see the favor of God. Now, it does say in the Bible that she was pretty, that she was attractive. But do you think she was that much more attractive than every girl in the country? I don't know. It doesn't say that she was the most attractive, but what happens is on one night with the king as a secondary wife, she spends one night with him, and he says, that's my queen. Now, the king was attracted to Esther, verse 17 of chapter 2, more than any other woman, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now we're beginning to see the outward manifestation of the favor of God. Now we begin to see what only God could see. He saw something on the inside of a young girl who would respond to him. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I didn't think about this ahead, but I'm going to throw this in here and then I may edit it out second service. But she had natural giftings that he could use for the kingdom. If she was ugly as a mud fence, whatever a mud fence is. And so it wasn't even her desire. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just what she was born with. And then God says, I can use you. I've got a place for you that is shaped perfectly for you to slide into. And he has a place shaped perfectly for you to slide into. God gives outward favor. She's elevated to the role of the queen. 
Again, other than submitting to the custodian of the women and doing what Mordecai told her and what her overseer told her, there's nothing yet that we can say that's what she did. She's going along, but God now is saying, I'm getting you ready for a moment. I'm getting you ready for a specific task. And there are those moments in all of our lives that I believe we need to live ready for because you don't know when that moment will happen that that door will open. Now, God can raise up whom he wills. And if you leave your life in God's hand, then begin to watch for evidence of his will for you. Okay, I want you to grab hold of this. Ladder climbers will always fall off the ladder. Has anybody ever fallen off a ladder here? Yeah, I did once in my garage. Landed right between the ladder and the snowblower. Knocked me silly. I got up, walked out the garage, started walking down the street. My wife thought I'd had brain damage and was going to have to call somebody because I'm not responding. I'm just trying to figure out if I'm still alive. In the corporate world, ladder climbers, in the spiritual religious faith world, ladder climbers, and Tim, Pastor Tim, you've seen it, I've seen it, that position for power, position for success, get themselves in a place where I'm going to take the next step, I heard a pastor say once, well, this church will do until the next one opens, looking for the next step up. You've seen them at work. They're trying to get in a position to curry favor. Those people will always fall. It's those who are willing to respond when the opportunity presents itself that will have the favor of God. And she's not trying to position. God has moved her into position. Why won't they give me a chance? Well, maybe if you quit striving for it, God's got a place he'll slide you into. She's just waiting. And this little, (laughs) are you still with me this morning? This is all introduction. The message is really short. This little captive peasant girl who is an orphan (laughs) being raised by her uncle, who is nobody, is now the queen. How does that happen? It happens because someone was willing to be used by God and responded to the doors that opened. Leave it in God's hand and watch for evidence of his will for you. You'll see evidence on your life. If no one ever asks you what the Bible means, you might not be the teacher you want to be. If no one ever asks you to sing after they've heard you once, well, I ought to be the lead vocalist. (laughs) I'm sorry. Do you remember the gong show? Some people haven't heard the gong that need to. Watch for where God is blessing. Watch for where God is showing favor in your life and get ready for that door to open. God will show himself and his purposes in and through you. Okay, all of that is just, now she's the queen, and I don't know, but I mean, can you just ponder for a moment? An orphan 
being raised by her uncle, is now the queen. I, you're going to have to forgive me for this. But I can't help but imagine that I think they had mirrors back then, some kind of polished metal mirror. I can't, so I'm going to contemporize it. I can't, I can't imagine that there wasn't at least once that she looked in the mirror and thought, wow, we've made it. How would you not? Hello? How would you not? You've arrived. You were an orphan. No financial need. You were raised by your uncle. Now you're the queen of the empire. You are somebody. You really are somebody. And there are no worries for the future. You're set. Just don't tick him off. And you're set for the rest of your life. Now hear me. This is what we don't like to talk about. To whom much is given, much is required. And when God puts you in a position of prominence, get ready. Because he's going to ask you for something for the kingdom's sake that you may not want to give. So easy to enjoy the moment. How many of you can imagine your life being worse than it is right now? Oh, come on. I can imagine your life being worse than it is right now, wherever you are. All you've got to do is look around this world system. My wife pointed out a post on Facebook. Someone said, I am staying up on New Year's Eve this year not to welcome the new year, but to make sure that 2020 leaves. <laughs> See that thing go. Yeah, it's been rough, but it could be worse. We could be facing more difficult things. I shared Wednesday night of a friend of mine that had COVID, got blood clots in the lungs, and he's, uh, they didn't know how it was going to go. He's having a hard time. God's touched him. He's home, doing well, and we thank God for that. We're praying for Derek Boyvin that God will raise him up and heal him. He's in our administrator and our district leader in our district office, needs the touch of God. But all of us can imagine something worse than where we are today. But we can always imagine something better. <laughs> How many of you can imagine a raise? What? That's it? Three of you. The rest of you are going to stay in poverty. I'm just telling you. Your confession is locking you into poverty. How many of you can imagine a raise? More money. I know some of you imagine winning the lottery. Esther is set. Don't mess this up, Esther. You're set for the rest of your life. But here's where the test comes. Mordecai sends word to Esther that Haman is going to exterminate the Jews. It's a wonderful story. The plots, the plans, the intrigue. Um, I don't have time to tell you the story. You can read that. And <laughs> he says, you've got to go before the king. And she does not say, yes, I knew God had me here for a moment. I knew God had me here for a purpose. I've been waiting to use my blessing for the glory of God. That's not what she says. She says, Mordecai, he hasn't called for me for a month. And I'm not allowed to do that. And if I walk in there, and he doesn't extend the scepter 
They will kill me. They will kill me. Now, I want you to see, I don't believe in transference of faith, but I do believe in, in inspiring faith. She's afraid she's going to die. And Mordecai says to her, it's all right, Esther. You want to see the faith of a man of God? He says, if you don't respond, God will deliver us by another means. Do you see that? His faith wasn't in Esther. His faith was in God. He saw a means to an end and said, Esther, if you don't want to do this, God will raise up another source. You see, God isn't limited to your obedience. You are. God's not limited to your obedience. He'll have another plan. He'll have another way. And Esther, you don't have to do this, but we are the children of God, and he will provide for us. But then it gets really real. But don't think for a moment. Because you're the queen, you'll be spared. He's going to find out you're a Jew, and you'll die with the rest of us. Now, I don't know which one motivated her. <laughs> but there is something about, listen, there is something in faith that is unafraid to compare what is with what he can do. Without him, this is what's going to happen. With him, this is what's going to happen. And Esther rises to the occasion. A great story of how she works the wisdom that God gives her to set the stage, to bring Haman to the gallows, to his death. It's an amazing development because once you begin to respond to God, all of the resources of heaven are available to you. You'll have his wisdom. You'll have his insights. You'll have his power. You'll have his authority. And this little peasant girl rises up into her calling and because this becomes the celebrated deliverer of Israel because she responded to the God that her uncle believed in. Faith was inspired in her heart. She walks in, has favor with the king, and Haman dies on the same gallows that he built for Mordecai. Leave it in God's hand. The heroine. Now, again, I don't think she's totally confident because she says to Mordecai, if I go in there, and this is critical, watch. Here's where we start to see her change. If I go in there, you need to gather all the Jews together that you can and have them fast and pray without food or water for three days. Because she says, if this is going to work, Mordecai, it's not in my hands. It's not in the hands of the queen. It's in the hands of the king. And we need to pray. Do you see what's just happened? She's put her attention on the spiritual realm, and we're going to need the help of God. Mordecai doesn't say, I'll have everyone pray, but she says, going into the fire. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you're going in the fire, don't expect anyone else to have the same burden to pray that you have. But they gather together. They begin to pray. They seek God, and the nation is spared. A heroine 
Uh, because she responds to the presentation of her calling. Now, that, in my opinion, is not her moment of greatness. There's a part of the story that we overlook because we're so, woo, we won. Do you know what's often after you, do, after you win that we find out who you really are? I was playing a video game with my grandson. He can celebrate when he wins. can celebrate you when he wins. What do you do after you win? 929. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, she lives in such a way that even her deceased mother is brought back into the story. Along with Mordecai the Jews, wrote the full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. The Feast of Purim is celebrated among Jews to this day. And I, I had to look into that. Why is it called the Feast of Purim? You have to understand that Haman had cast lots to determine the day that the Jews would die. Now, there's some historical evidence that he rigged the lots to pick the day that would celebrate one of their Persian gods. But in any event, it was the casting of lots. Purim is not a Hebrew word. It's a Persian word. The word pur means broken tile or lot. It means the casting of lots. And so Mordecai says, you know what we're going to call this? We're going to call it the celebration of the day the lots were cast. What, what Haman meant for evil, what Haman had put in place to see our destruction, we're going to celebrate as the day that God gave us deliverance because what the devil meant for evil, what Haman had arranged to see us destroyed, we'll remember that it wasn't the Haman of chance, it was the God of purpose that delivered us and we're not going to forget this day that God turned the tables of the lot cast against us became the deliverance of the God who is for us. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters, 932. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written into the book. You know what makes Esther the great woman she was? Is following her victory, she celebrated in worship. Number five is the worshiper. The worshiper. There's where you see her greatness. Listen to me, your greatness will never be measured by temporal exploits. It'll be measured by your entering into the presence of God. And she didn't forget how they got there. We fasted, we prayed, we sought God, and he delivered us. Now, let's forever celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. I think all of us ought to celebrate the day that Jesus brought you into the kingdom, the day that Jesus healed you, the day that Jesus baptized you in the spirit, the day that God did something supernatural in your life ought to be a feast day because what the devil meant for evil, God turned about for good. Worship is our highest calling. Are you hearing me? Worship is our highest calling. 
And I can't be the deliverer of Israel, but I can be a worshiper like Esther was. And he's looking for a people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue that will sing forever, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Your highest calling is to be a worshiper of Jehovah, a worshiper of the Messiah, the worshiper of our Savior. And would to God we'd have that same passion that Esther had. And I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to lift you high because of what you have done in our lives. Thank God he's still the God during coronavirus. Thank God he's still God during the days of layoffs. Thank God he's still God in the midst of political chaos and trouble. We ought to celebrate the God of Purim. Worship will leave an unending legacy. That's the calling on all of our lives. And so I want to leave you with this piece of worship, this idea. Would you stand with me, please? Esther stood in the gap. And we should all be standing in the gap for someone. Who are you standing in the gap for? She stood in the gap for a nation. And when she filled the gap and the judgment was spared, the blessing of God reigned on the people. So this morning, do you want greatness? No. Look around. Isn't anybody here liable to deliver a nation? Might, but who knows? But we can all be worshipers. And that's the goal that we strive for. Would you just lift your hands right now and give God thanks and praise for his goodness in our lives. Thank you, Jesus.
Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in you. Never failed me yet. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, some of you aren't getting this at all. Some of you aren't getting this at all. The joy of the Lord is still our strength. And they can tell me I have to stay six feet away from you, but they can't separate our fellowship. They can tell me that singing is dangerous, but they can't stop my worship. Is anyone in the house hearing me? And I think it's time for the church of God to stand up and say, I'm not living under the depression of the devil. I'm not living in the fear of the pandemic. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. And God is still our victor. And we're going to walk in that authority. Come on. Praise him. He's worthy. Even in pandemic, he's worthy of our praise. I've seen you move. Come on. Yes. Do it again. in denial no I'm living in expectation hope is the anchor for the soul 
I am not telling you that if you live right, you won't die of the coronavirus. I'm telling you that if that happens and you die, you'll go out singing to him. Whatever he does, he's not taking my joy. We are people of victory. We are people of Purim. Cast your lots and then watch what God will do. Amen, 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 amen. You can be seated just for a minute. We got to stop this. <laughs> I, I want to say something here as well. I am so impressed by the people that call Berean Church their home. I'm impressed with all of you. Our finances are allowing us to continue to pay bills, continue to give to missions, continue to bless churches. And whether we're in the building or not, the church is still responding. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. It helps us keep moving on. And there are parts of the world, our own world, that need to hear about Jesus. So keep giving. God will bless you. I'm believing for great days ahead, whatever comes. I read the news, and I got to wash my mind out with about an hour of scripture. <laughs> Hello? Anybody? It's like, what in the world? All I know. <laughs> I'm trying to stop. Pastor Tim, you might have to just come up here and slap me. I'm looking for a city. This world's not my home. I said, I'm looking for a city. And I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. Your highest calling is... <laughs> your highest calling isn't to save the culture. Your highest calling is to worship our Creator. Let's be worshipers of Jesus Christ.